1: The Match Ball. The 1st of September 1990. Welcome to the Match Ball 30 for Norwich City at home. 30 years on, charting the journey from League United's return to the top flight to lifting the championship trophy two years later. And we're going to take that journey game by game, doing a Match Ball on the 30th anniversary of each match. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. And I'm joined by Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Just a few days on then from that draw against those lot from over the hills and a game that looks eminently more winnable against Norwich City. Smaller crowd for this one, though, just over 25,500. Typical bloody fickle part-time bastards.
2: And they missed a treat because we're making the first division look easy.
1: Three games unbeaten in the top flight. That's not bad, is it?
2: And now a home win. This was kind of something to to look for. and you know, are we described the, the game against Scorm as kind of like that big test against your biggest rival. No rivalry against Norwich. I think we'd barely played them up until this point.
3: Better days in many ways when before a rivalry with Norwich. The,
2: yes, happier days. It, it didn't take them long to uh, to get them, the measure of us and when the Premier League started. There's one particularly harrowing 4-0 defeat. But at this point, we are in blissful ignorance and we did need... I mean, they'd been hanging around the top flight for all the years we'd been away and they really had no business being there. Testing ourselves against the FA Cup holders and our biggest rivals was kind of getting ourselves to the heights. But everybody knows that you've got to grind and um, knocking this uh, shower of shit over makes me feel a lot better about being in the first division.
3: Better times as well when their young midfielder, Tim Sherwood, I bet you'd never even heard him speak, had you, at this point? No, but I do picture him in
1: a gilet still.
2: The one thing Norwich had going for them at this point was their kit... It was kind of a unique design because it was uh, spon- it was made by Asics, but the Asics um, also sponsored it and kind of incorporated their logo into uh, the overall design of the shirt. And I remember um, in a moment of weakness buying this as a Sabutio kit because I liked it so much. Them and uh, then when Aston Villa, their kits appealed to me. Um, their players not so much. I mean, Tim Sherwood, Jeremy Goss, Robert Rosario. I quite liked Robert Rosario because Rosario was a an unusual name. They just—they looked posh. I mean, I—I I, I was young at the time, but collecting all the set cards, and I didn't really have any conception of where Norwich was or what it was all about. But I just remember looking. They, they looked like a bunch of softies, whereas the Leeds team—good, stern, hard-looking footballers. I mean, Jeremy
3: isn't a name for a footballer, is it?
2: Rule, Rule Fox was here. They were—they were, they were a, a, a funny bunch, but um, easily beaten. And that's what matters.
1: Jeremy Goss has the sort of vibe of like a, a countryside estate agent. You know that kind of out in the sticks, selling those uh, those Surrey mansions kind of vibe.
2: Well, he had um, like Weetabix hair. That was one of his problems. But the, I mean, I mentioned the, the the harrowing Premier League loss. It's Rule Fox and, and Jeremy Goss were actually the, the key figures. We lost 4-0 at the start of the, it was a 93-94 season and Jeremy Goss one of the few opposition players to have received a standing ovation when um, Fox crossed from the left and he um, not quite up to Luke Ayling's standard but he did van Basten a volley in off Lukic's crossbar at the cop end and, and Leeds fans already deserving of a FIFA fair play award because um, basically the whole stadium applauded and then just hated him that little bit more
3: he scored a volley against Bayern Munich as well didn't he which I guess Although that admittedly came after that, so that can't have been why we were applauding him. But um, that was that was good pro leads work, I guess.
2: I mean I did dismiss Norwich out of hand as kind of unworthy opponents at the start of this, but they are this is the team that is building up to finishing very high in the Premier League when that starts and and playing in Europe against Bayern Munich and beating them, which is such a it's one of those things that seems unimaginable now. But that's where um players like Tim Sherwood and um Brian Gunn, their goalkeeper, so Angus Gunn is now at Southampton. Isn't he? And um, it all kind of grew from this.
1: And you mentioned when we did Manchester United a few days ago that Chapman was traditionally a slow starter in the top division. But he gets off the mark in this one.
2: Yep. This is uh, the kind of chance he needed.
3: Yeah, I mean, if the, the man new chance looked easy. This one, um, I mean, it's potentially going in anyway, I think, is this. It's not entirely clear if he needs a touch on it, but like any good striker, he, you know, he wants to do it. So we've got um, we've got snodding and Speed down the left. Speed crosses. Viradi kind of just gets to the front post first and flicks it on and guns away out of position. By the time it reaches Chapman at the back post, and I mean he he cannot miss, can he?
2: Well, I mean we saw him against Scum, and we'll be coming back to the the fallout from that that miss later on. I think chances where the ball is already basically over the line, absolutely perfect for for big Lee and you've got to remember um, him and Varadi had played together in the first division before for Sheffield Wednesday. And you could see there's uh, there was a moment in the scum match when they got in each other's way and they were kind of having this very kind of um, old couple-ish argument where it's oh, I'm sick of you doing that. Oh, you always do that. You're always standing there. Why don't you just, well, stop doing it then. And I, I can't imagine Varadi, it's probably, you know, off to celebrate his, uh, his first goal of the season, well, his second goal of the season because he scored against Everton, and then he turns around and sees that Lee Chapman's headed it in just like he did all those times at Sheffield Wednesday, the big bastard.
3: It's funny you mentioned Chapman being like making it things look difficult. The second goal when that comes again, it's really quite an easy chance. It's across a from the left that's headed away by um, by the defence. That it comes to Gary Mack, and because their defence is all out of shape from the original cross, I think their right back must be he must have gone off the pitch, and he's basically playing everyone on side. And Chapman has just stood himself on the six-yard line. So when it goes back to him, he just has to side-foot it in. But he, he sort of makes it look tough. He makes it look like it... I feel like a natural striker would just would roll this in and, and run off, making it look easy. But he again, he, may, he manages to make it look like he's somehow under a load of pressure with it.
1: Chapman always did that, I felt. He made the art of scoring look easy and difficult at the same time. I know exactly what you're talking about there.
3: I mean, positionally, is obviously very good. Like From... The games you've watched so far, he's always in the right place for stuff. But it's just when he actually has to use his feet he seems to struggle a bit.
2: Did you enjoy the moments in the uh the scum game when we had we had more footage than we have of the this Norwich match, where he was standing on the wing with the ball at his feet?
3: Not one for the channels, is what I will say for him.
2: He he was actually he could sometimes part of the the, the game plan was to to get him in the channel, like Sterling would chip it forward and he'd control the ball and lay it off for for Strachan and then he could do that quite well. And he would occasionally pull out like these bizarre, like really good long-range passes, but you just had to put them down as flukes. But his game was all about just being in the box and he's such a big fella that he's difficult to defend against just because of his sheer bulk. And once he's in the six-yard box, it doesn't matter how it happens, but he's generally scoring, although not against Les Sealy as we, we discussed and we'll discuss again.
3: He does look horrible to defend against. One thing we didn't touch on from the Man United game was that it seems like at least half of the time the ball's played towards him. It's either either commits a foul or wins a free kick just because he turns games into such a physical battle where he, defenders know he's going to grab them and chuck them about, and likewise. So it just ends up being like a who can be the strongest and which way the ref's going to give a decision.
1: But thankfully, this was one of those games that we made look like the routine win. I guess that it was and showed that great level of progress that we'd adjusted to the first division well and three nil. Piece of piss.
3: Mark Bowen with an assist. Did you once get Mark Bowen confused with someone else on this podcast, Moscow? I can't remember, but it is definitely Mark Bowen this time.
2: Yeah, I thought he was the player who missed the penalty that meant Wales didn't go to the World Cup. And I remember being upset about that as a a kid because it meant Gary Speed didn't go to the World Cup. And yeah, I, I lambasted Mark Bowen at some length. Because he, he popped up as, uh, he's at Reading now, he's like their director of football. He made himself manager this season, didn't he? Of course he did, he appointed himself manager. He was Paul it was Paul uh, Bowden. It was, I'm not even sure, I can check now. I think Bowen was on the pitch. No, not even in the squad. Jeremy Goss was on the bench, if that helps.
3: But in this game, to be clear, Mark Rosslyn Bowen.
2: Is he even Welsh?
3: Um, yes, he was born in, in Neath. Okay. I've got his Wikipedia in front of me now. But yeah, he just he basically just passes it, plays a nice through ball to Verratti, who gets his shot over the gun, hits him, and loops in. He's strange as Verratti because he's almost in everything he does. He looks kind of rubbish, but then he's here. He is scoring goals and getting assists, and sort of works for him. But I can't I can't exactly tell you how.
2: You know, he started a national craze.
1: Yes, I do.
2: There you go. What was it? What was the national craze?
1: Imre banana inflatables at football.
2: Yeah, Manchester City fans when he played there called him. Imre Banana and started taking inflatable bananas to the game. And just like everybody used to sing, you'll never walk alone, every club in the country. I seem to remember reading that it never really caught on at Leeds, but pretty much most clubs people just started turning up with, um, first they all took inflatable bananas, but then they started just taking inflatable anythings and it was just became the thing that people had at the football, like toilet rolls when people used to throw toilet rolls onto the pitch. There was a this weird few couple of seasons at the end of the 80s when um, purely because of his nickname at City, um, everybody was taking bananas to the match. Not the kind that they used to throw at John Barnes because obviously that was also a part of the story at the, the end of the 80s, that the um, racist fans would be throwing bananas at black players. This was more of a celebration. It was a it was a happy coming together of oxygen, rubber and partying and Imre Verardi. <laughs> what a combination. <laughs>
1: One hell of a weekend that I've heard about some of those clubs, you know. John Lukic in fine form with this, more good saves. Wilkinson
2: talking him up. Wilkinson says, uh, "Can you do a Wilkinson voice, Michael?"
1: I don't think I can
3: really. I need to. I'll I'll work on it for next okay. time. Okay,
2: it's just kind of a a, a standard slow South Yorkshire I, I don't know of a better candidate for the England shirt, and uh, we select Norwich off. But the thing about Rule Fox, he was actually a pretty dangerous winger, and he'll have been creating the, the chances for them we had to We had to be good in this game and John Lukic as he did against Everton was making the saves to to pay his million pound transfer fee back and then um, Batty as well it wasn't just Lukic that they were talking about should be playing for England but they were starting to talk about David Batty is uh, deserving of an England cap for the way he was playing in this game But Batty's
1: fine form meant that we still weren't seeing Vinnie Jones and people are starting to ask questions at this point where is he?
2: Not on the pitch, not even in the squad. The only change for this match to our side was Haddock uh, went to the bench um, so Snowden could start at left back. And I think when we were talking against for the scum game about Dennis Irwin kind of not being worth attacking, I think the two goals in the first half both came from Snowden and Speed combining on the left wing. So I think we saw that it was easier to attack Norwich's right back. So Haddock had to sit on the bench despite being Michael's new favourite player and my favourite player, Mike Whitlow, was also on the bench. So we essentially had two left-backs and on the bench and another one on the pitch, although Haddock could play all over the place. Whitlow could play him up front and he'd, uh, he'd be superb. Snowden also could play like, midfield, left wing, all sorts. But no room for Vinnie Jones. And um, the combination in the second division had mostly been Batty and Jones. So it was really, it was McAllister who had kind of taken his shirt away rather than Batty. But at the end of the second division season, Batty's form had fallen off. And uh, for the run-in, uh, Wilkinson brought in Chris Kamara, so Batty wasn't in the team. So I think was, it was quite surprising that suddenly here we are with Batty is pushing for England honors. us. Um, McAllister's been signed from nowhere and is starting every match. Finney Jones can't even get on the substitutes bench and Chelsea are rumored to be hovering around with a million quid.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: Not a route I thought we'd go down, but let's talk rugby league.
2: Well, the, the big story that it, it helped calm things down that Chapman did score is two in this game, but um, this was a weird time at least because you've got to remember we didn't own. Elland Road. It was the property of Leeds City Council who'd bought it from us for a couple of million in the mid-80s when the club was on the verge of going bust. Um, but they were the landlords and they used it as they saw fit. And it was since Wilkinson had come in and decided that they were going to play some football on that pitch. There were quite bitter arguments with the council about how the the stadium got used. Um, one of the first thing, things Wilkinson did was he looked at the boardroom in 1988, which was stuffed full of local councillors who were all there because of this this deal that had been done to sell the stadium and said, right, I'm not dealing with any of them and just trim it down. It's me, Leslie Silver, Bill Fotherby, the rest of them, they don't get a say. And they didn't like that particularly. And then the council also had its thing, well, it's a community asset. So things like youth cup finals, like the local junior cup finals would be played there and there were occasions when if Leeds United had a replay and it was going to clash with two school teams who were contesting a cup final that night the council would say well the, the schools have to play you you can play somewhere else or you move your you move your fancy pants FA cup fixture to another night and then the big problem from wilkinson's point of view was that hunslet rugby league um essentially shared the stadium played all their home games ruined the pitch that's why he got rid of John Sheridan, because he didn't see any point in um, in him passing the ball through um, a mud bath. But now he'd brought in Gary McAllister to take over from Finney. Pitch had been relayed. And then Lee Chapman comes out and says, it's the pitch's fault that I didn't score. And it did not go down well.
1: I've seen some angry grass in my time, but never to that extent.
2: To review what he'd said, the full quotes from Chapman that came out during the week after the Scum game was he said to uh, Uh, The ground seemed to give way beneath me as I went for the ball and uh, perhaps the ground not knitted together properly because rugby league's been played on on this. And it was that mention of rugby league that brought councillor Bernard Ather, who was chairman of Leeds City Council's leisure services committee. He came running down from Civic Hall to put him firmly back in his box. And it's worth people may know the name uh, Bernard Ather because he he, as well as being a local councillor, he was also an actor. He was in films. He was in... Kez was probably his uh, his biggest role. He was the youth employment officer who basically puts young Billy on the... Um, he's called Billy, isn't he? Whatever he's called. He puts him on the scrap. Billy Casper. Billy Casper. He tells young Paul Heckingbottom that he'll, he'll never amount to anything. And he was in um, Coronation Street. Is
1: it not Heckingbottom's uh, biopic? Is it not about his life?
2: It's it's based on true events. in, uh, Or I think it might be vice versa, Heckingbottom basing his life... On that film, but yeah, he was in Coronation Street in the sixties and um, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes in the nineteen eighties, and um, and he wasn't happy with Lee Chapman. The return of first division football to Welland Road was notable for an enjoyable game, but it was marred by Lee Chapman's comments afterwards. Lee, who missed a gilt-edged second half chance, blamed the miss on the pitch being affected by the playing of rugby league last season. I feel the record must be put straight. The playing surface has been completely relayed during this summer and not a single rugby boot has set foot on that turf. I strongly suspect that Lee was desperate to cover up his miss and used rugby league as a scapegoat.
3: That posh bastard blaming in rugby league, he comes he comes up here and the first thing he does have a go at Rugby League, you'll fuck off back to wherever he's from, Lincoln or somewhere.
2: It is Lincoln. Downside. They don't have much of a. The, they don't have a very proud Rugby League history in fucking Lincoln, do they?
1: Well, in terms of helping out Lee Chapman, maybe he needed a little bit of assistance. There are rumours of a second striker coming in at this point, and some decent names in there as well for people at the
2: time. I think the problem we we had with um, with Chapman himself and then Ferradi, Bobby Davison, Carl Shut they're all... 30 if they're a day so some fresh blood it was the the one thing everybody expected to be signed in the summer and we didn't Chapman was still a little bit people were a bit unsure about him because we'd only signed him in January it had taken him a few games to get going he was booed off in about his second or third game at Leeds he was subbed off and booed um, and then scored the goal at Bournemouth that got us up but yeah some exciting young strikers being linked
3: I vaguely remember Ali McCoy's being linked with with Leeds, much after, much later than this as well. It seemed like he was just always on the verge of a move to England, but he could never quite drag himself away from Rangers. I think it's worth saying at the time that Rangers were actually a, like a decent team, and the money on offer in Scotland wasn't bad. Like Rangers were actually getting people out of English leagues to go and play up there in the nineties because they had they were awash with cash for some reason. And I, I must admit, I have never seen Robert Fleck play. He <laughs> was the other name that we're being linked with. So, sorry, I'm the plenty in the uh, in his Scotland days, but yeah, Robert Fleck. Tell me about him.
2: Well, the the Rangers money thing was due to Scottish teams being allowed to play in Europe and English teams banned after Heysel. So the the five years after 1985, even longer. I think this was the first season English teams were allowed back into Europe. I think, or maybe the second. But yeah, a lot of people had gone to Scotland. Um, good players because they could play in European competition. So Rangers had had absolute superb teams. Like Chris Woods, he was the England goalkeeper, played for Andrew, Trevor Stephen. Who else went up there? Loads Mark of Haley. people. Yeah. Ali McCoy's Graham Soon-Ness was obviously their player manager. was a, a huge name. So trying to get somebody from Rangers, it's not as easy as, uh, as it is or isn't now. Robert Fleck, though the interesting thing with... Uh, with Fleck was he, he'd come off the bench for Norwich in this match and basically said afterwards that he'd rather play for Leeds, which is a bold move. It's not exactly what you uh, you want to hear if you're a Canaries fan, but yeah, he just said afterwards he'd love to play for Leeds United.
1: So would I. To be fair, he had a good point. He had an absolutely good point. But he's scoring for fun for them. He scored loads, didn't he?
2: Well, you say loads. He he is historically he's Norwich City's fourth highest ever goal scorer with eighty four goals in 299 appearances um i did look up for uh context just to make sure we're keeping this separation between leeds united and the small teams our fourth uh highest goal scorer is tom jennings with 117 goals in 174 matches so if we could have signed tom jennings from the 1920s twice the player robert fleck ever was he did end up he ended up uh forcing through as the the tabloids would have it a £2 million move to Chelsea for the start of the Premier League. Um, And he made such a song and dance about it that the Norwich fans hated him until, because he only scored three goals for Chelsea, they bought him back and then they loved him again because, I mean, it just sums up that chip shop fucking club, doesn't it? But yeah, Howard Wilkinson was was not confirming anything about interest in Robert Fleck, but he did say, uh, I'm not surprised he'd like to come here. If I was a player keen to make my mark in the game, this is the club I would want to join. He was having his say all over the place with uh, Howard Wilkinson. We mentioned the uh, the rumours about Vinnie Jones and this £1 million transfer to Chelsea, but um, Vinnie's agent said that there was nothing in that. And Wilkinson said, uh, I know Vinnie well enough to know that if he has anything to say, he'll say it to me first. And he has not said anything to me at the moment. And he there's a nice bit of uh, speaking about himself in the third person when he's talking about all this speculation when he says uh, most of these things are just products of the media. But if Howard Wilkinson's comments were also included, there would be some credence to the stories. Otherwise, they are 99% fiction. Still leaving that little 1% doubt, but...
1: Just to run through the teams for this one, because we haven't done them yet. Lukic, Sterling, Snodding is in there uh, at left back. Batty, Fairclough, White, Strachan, Varadi, Chapman, McAllister and Speed, with the subs Haddock and Whitlow. And lining up for Norwich, Brian Gunn, Paul Blades... Ian Butterworth, John Polston, Mark Bowen, Jeremy Goss, David Phillips, Tim Sherwood, Robert Rosario, Dale Gordon and Rule Fox. Finished 3-0 to Leeds and probably the only cloud over this game is what you've just mentioned there, Moscow, is that the Vinny situation, there's uncertainty surrounding that. It's not like now where we live in the era of uh, constant rumour and you know uh, Twitter wailing and gnashing of teeth about every single thing that happens in a football club. There was just this sense that the Vinny situation needed to be resolved one way or another.
2: He's a huge star and he's not playing. And whenever that happens, people start to talk about it. And Vinny Jones couldn't play reserve team football. I think that's the thing. And yeah, what would you do? Leeds unbeaten in three. I mean, the positives from this game, first home win, Chapman scored two. Verardi now has two goals. So all this talk about signing Alan McCoy and Robert Fleck, do we even need to bother? And the team's looking great. So what do you do with Vinny?
1: Unbeaten in three, and we head off to Kenilworth Road next week and a meeting with Luton Town.
2: The match ball.